Welcome to the Family Office Real Estate Podcast, also known as the Four Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about single family rentals with the CIO from Lloyd Capital Partners, a single family office back east, uh, Josh Roach. And his family has uh, a very good position in the single family rental, which is unlike a lot of other family offices. However, it's a great property type that's really gathered a lot of interest over the years, especially from the institutions. And so we're going to hear an interview that I had with Josh Roche on Single Family Rentals. Okay, so in this segment, we're going to be talking about a um, an area in real estate that's really been taking off over the last 10 years. Uh, before that, it was, before the downturn, there was really non-existent. And uh, today I've got with me uh, Josh Roach from Lloyd Capital Partners, a single family office in uh, Connecticut. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Hi, DJ. It's good to be here. Great. So why don't you tell me a little bit about um, uh, the the family office that you work for. You've been there for quite some time, correct? Mm -hmm. And um, you you, uh, have a, a portion of your real estate portfolio. Well, actually, what is in your overall portfolio that you guys have been focusing on? So, Jay, thanks. I work with uh, Lloyd Capital Partners, and that is a single-family office uh, focused on uh, alternatives, real estate, and energy uh, for the Demers Lloyd family. And uh, there's a couple different sectors we've focused on, but the largest sector in the direct space really has been in residential real estate. Um, and we've really been involved in that space for the last years uh, over and how long have you said you've been, I'm sorry, how, how long, say that again, how long have you been involved in the real estate, in single family? So we've been in, sure, so we've been in single family residential real estate since uh, about 2004, so almost Okay, so before years. the downturn, before the downturn. Ab- absolutely, you know, we were inside that market in really 2004, really starting with the Southwest United States and investing in, uh, you know, Colorado, um, Arizona, Nevada, areas like that, um, kind of ramping up into the distress. So at that time, we started buying and participating in the distress that we saw emerging in southwestern U.S. in single-family homes. And so we started buying those homes and putting any type of um, minor renovations into them and then reselling those. And that's how we really got started in the industry, really through distress. And we continued through distress through the cycles, and then coming out of 2006, 2007, 2008, obviously there was fairly good gains to be made if you could uh, purchase homes, um, do the workouts, and then resell them with some TLC uh, to investors, or hold them uh, for your own portfolio with cash flow generation to them. So initially you were really uh, buying homes and selling them. You weren't holding them actually for the cash flow at the beginning, correct? We did two things. We held homes for cash flow, but we also turned them over quickly. And uh, that's kind of where our strategy diverged. And we did that all the way through 
about 2011, 2012. And that's where we really, you know, most of our homes we were buying, we were turning them over probably every 90 days or so. And with particular focus in Arizona, we were buying homes, turning them over. We did keep a portfolio of rental homes, but most of them were uh, fix and flip, DJ. And it's interesting, and I'm happy to go into it in a minute, if you like, about kind of what happened uh, around 2012 in that area. Yeah, well, well, first off, it sounds like you were uh, ahead of the, the institutional type uh, buyers of the Blackstones and the colonies of the world. Um, and so you were in there quite early as a whole. In fact, uh, I would imagine some of your homes had been cash because there wasn't the financing that was available that uh, you have today, correct? Yeah, that's right. So that's a huge part of the market that's really innovated or evolved over the most recent probably 10 years has been the financing mm-hmm. available. But back in those days, we really had to use capital and cash, right, to buy those yeah. homes. And so the best way for our capital that was just turning that over and buying those homes and turning that, that capital and that profits back into additional assets. However, and so I would, I mean, yes, yeah, sure. It's fair to say that we are ahead of the institutions. Sure. I think that's, that's probably right. I think that's probably always the case with family offices and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and other types of investors that are willing to go in and take a different type of a risk profile than an institution. Um, you know, and that's really how single family residential has been characterized for most of its life. A lot of mm-hmm. uh, just individual investors, a lot of family offices, and often it's been characterized by mom and pop. And naturally, yeah. over the last uh, eight to 10 years, that's beginning to evolve. And we're really seeing the emerging of institutions and the institutionalization of that industry today. And, you know, it's interesting because I happy to share, really, we saw that happen right in front of us. And mm-hmm. um, it'd be nice to say we took full advantage of it, but I'm not exactly sure we saw it coming. Um, I can remember being in the Arizona market in around 2011, 2012, and uh, a lot of our bids started kind of going away almost overnight. And there was a company in that time, Colony Capital, that was in the market, and they just started buying up these homes, and it was kind of almost overnight. We decided to take our foot off the gas pedal on buying homes and just see what would happen to some of these players like Colony. We weren't sure they had a really clear understanding of the single-family residential market, the single-home type, and we thought they might stumble. But to their credit, they figured it out. And uh, as we took our foot off the pedal from continued buying, they really accelerated and they formatted a model through which they could buy the home, lease the home out after minor renovations. And they really, to their credit, really started from an institutional perspective, the single family residential or single family rental, as the acronym is known well today throughout the industry as SFR. So when did you start to, and one of the biggest issues with single family homes, because uh, like you said, it was traditionally known from a mom and pop perspective, uh, is the ability to manage all of these separate rooftops, right? Because with an apartment building, you might have 20 units, you've got one roof, uh, but in 20 single family homes, if they're not located directly next to each other, then you are going to have 
you know, properties in different areas, which can cause management problems. So how did you tackle that? So that is something that, um, you know, we had to do from the beginning anyway. So that wasn't new, right? When we went and bought a house in one zip code, we'd buy a house uh, down a couple of blocks and we still had to go to that house and deal with that and then go to the next house. So the inefficiencies yep. that exist with single family rental, we've had to deal with since the duration we've been in the investment. So it's nothing new. I think what is new is how do you correlate or analyze that investment class against a multifamily asset class? Mm -hmm. And so, Josh, how do you tell the difference between the, uh, uh, you know, how do you compare a single family rental to the multifamily market? So single family rental, it really has been around for quite a long time. It just hasn't been institutionalized, right? People have been buying second, third homes in rental homes in investment properties kind of in perpetuity forever. Um, but the institutions just haven't really purchased those homes. And so the, there's a couple different ways I would say. Obviously, the biggest difference is um, the institutionalization and uh, the differences in how you have to deal with the inefficiencies. So obviously, you've got multiple roofs. Um, one asset has one roof, a different asset down the road has a different roof. So you've got the issue of inefficiencies of dealing with the SFR market or the single family rental market that you don't have in multifamily. So that's, uh, you need to solve for that. And that really is where a good operator can create alpha compared to the rest of the operators. And we can get into how you create alpha there, but go back to your original question on the multifamily side, you can get good efficiencies. You've got one asset in one geographic region. You've got multiple units under one roof. And so you, you send teams on there to property managers, uh, vendors, um, handymen to deal with issues. However, you've got higher turnover in multifamily, right? About 50% turnover. Um, mm. Where in uh, single family today, I think average turnover is around 30%. So you've got a significant different profile for single family uh, than you do for multifamily. So I think it's fair to say that even though there are inefficiencies in the operating when it comes to single family rentals and managing that asset, you've got lower uh, turnover uh, in the single family rental market. And a lot of those inefficiencies kind of wash out with a lower turnover. Gotcha. So, and what type of returns um, do you expect from the portfolio that you have for single family homes? So let's uh, break down the return profile uh, in, in at least three different ways that um, we're seeing the market return today. The first kind of historical perspective, you've got a set of cash flows and if it's managed right, you can return those cash flows to the investor, right? And that cash flow it really stems from the rents that the renters pay in to the property management team and the asset owner. Those cash flow sets should yield somewhere between six and 8% unlevered. And you can lever those up to anywhere from, you know, eight to possibly 10%. Now it does take uh, maybe up to a year to stabilize a portfolio. And what I mean by that is when you buy an asset, you have to do the renovation. It might take anywhere from three weeks to two months to do some light renovation on that home, on that asset, and then find the appropriate renter 
uh, that will rent that property. So you've got that delay, that one to three month delay on getting uh, that asset leased out. And so it takes up to a year maybe to stabilize that portfolio. But once it's stabilized, you should be able to return anywhere from a six to, uh, you know, six to 8% kind of unlevered return in some markets. And that is based upon a gross cap rate of let's say anywhere from 13 to 15% gross cap rate. And so Mm -hmm. if you operate that down after you're paid all your operating costs, your net yield should come out somewhere between, you know, seven and a half to eight and a half percent. And so your net yield or your net cap rate should be somewhere in our markets where we participate somewhere between eight and nine percent. And which is great, especially for family offices who, who are looking for yield, whereas, you know, because they're not getting at the bank, et cetera. That's exactly right. It's a great yield. Even if you'd be on the conservative side, so you're getting a six to seven percent yield. That's a fantastic yield underlying a great asset you have that is cash flowing. And we mm-hmm. underwrite our assets to anywhere from a two to three percent, what they call HPA, home price appreciation. That is the capital appreciation of that asset in that geography. Obviously, it goes through its ebbs and flows in the cycle. We're buying in geographies where those homes didn't take such a deep dive as they did in some other markets. And so mm-hmm. there's still room for those assets to kind of grow up in valuation. But we should expect 2 to 3% appreciation per year. And if you hold that asset for anywhere from three to five years, while you're building the rest of the portfolio of other assets, um, you know, it's, it's, it's 3 to 5% a year. So three times five, 15% capital appreciation over your hold period plus mm-hmm. eight or 9% uh, um, cash flow yield all in. It probably feels like it could feel like up to a, a 20% or high teens, a 20% IRR if it's managed the right way. And so, you know, the way our results have uh, really accrued to us with our own capital, uh, we've seen return profiles anywhere from high teens to, to mid 20 IRRs for our own portfolio. The last thing I'll say, DJ, is, you know, what I just shared with you is really a a set of returns that have come from two things, the cash flow that's generated on that and Mm -hmm. the appreciation of that asset over the whole period. One of the interesting things that's happening today, and we've been waiting for this for the last couple of years, is cap rate compression. Now, we Mm -hmm. look at that gravy, if you will. At the end of the day, we're underwriting this asset to generate cash flow and to increase in appreciation over an appropriate duration or hold period. However, institutions are beginning to see the value that these uh, professionally managed portfolios can generate for their investors. And because of that, we're now seeing institutional investors come into the market and pay a certain rate for these. So give you an example, and this is theoretical, but uh, this is what we've seen before. We can operate a portfolio to a net yield of around, call it seven and a half to 8%. Today, the market's proven that there are institutions willing to buy portfolios around 6%. So even if it's six and a half percent, 
You've got, you know, a seven and a half percent net yield down to a six and a half percent cap rate buy. That's a hundred basis points of cap rate compression that we're seeing in the market today. And I think that mm. cap rate compression will probably continue and it might go down uh, even more so over the next couple of years. So if you think about it, multifamily, I think today trades at around four and a half to five percent cap rate mm-hmm. compression, cap rates. I think we've seen today, it's been demonstrated in the market most recently, last fall of 2018, there was a portfolio that was purchased at a 6% cap rate by a Wall Street firm. So you've got a 6% cap rate by today, multifamilies are trading a four and a half. I think there's still room for cap rate compression in the single family rental market to go from 6%, maybe it gets down to, to five and a half. And that could happen in two ways. One, I think we're gonna continue to see evolution in cost of debt come down in the capital markets and debt capital markets. I think as debt providers get more comfortable with this asset, you can see it in the securitization that are happening today. We'll probably see lower cost of capital for the debt market. And I think we'll see continued improvements in operations, in property management, and in the renovations. And as we see those improvements in operations and we see the improvements in lower cost of capital, I think that cap rate will still come down. I don't think we'll always get to exactly a multifamily level, but I think I should get down to probably a five and a half over over the next three or four years. And so what about an exit strategy? Are you guys looking to hold on to these long-term? Or are you looking to possibly exit to one of these institutions? So one of the best things about this asset class for us is it really provides you multiple different exit opportunities, depending on one of two things, how long you want to hold that asset for and at what price someone is willing to pay for that asset. And so how long we want to hold that asset could be influenced by what someone's willing to pay for that asset. So I would Mm -hmm. say it's anywhere from three to five years to develop a portfolio of anywhere from, you know, 300 to 600 homes, depending on how much capital you're putting to work. Uh, Today, with the right team in place, you can develop that portfolio in, in, in three to five years, and you can sell that portfolio to a larger institution that wants that set of stabilized cash flows. So uh, a duration for someone that wants to get into the investment, hold that investment and see a capital return, I would say three to five years is a pretty good uh, target. We're seeing those targets come down a little bit, DJ, as more institutions are getting comfortable. However, if you're more interested in just the set of cash flows, then you can hold those assets for as long as they continue to generate set of cash flows that exists in that market. And given that we're buying homes in the workforce housing region, kind of affordable housing, you know, those are homes that people need to live in. Most of these folks are coming either out of multifamily, they have uh, kids, they want to be in a good school district, they want privacy, and they want their own home, um, and they don't have enough bedrooms in multifamily. So they're really kind of pushed into, in many ways, a single-family home. And we're providing them the opportunity to live in a single-family home in a good neighborhood with good school districts at a uh, set of rents that's reasonable and affordable for them. 
Yeah, which, which is a big point, actually, because from my experience is that, uh, you know, a lot of the better neighborhoods where families want their kids to go to, they don't necessarily have multifamily apartments that are available. So you, if they can't afford to buy in that market, um, you know, this is an alternative of a way for them to get in and, um, you know, in, into those better neighborhoods, better schools, et cetera, by all means. Um, that's exactly right. I'll just comment on that. I, you know, oftentimes, certainly the newer multifamily product are on the, on the outskirts in many ways where our single family homes most often are in what we called infill, right? They're already yep. inside of existing communities where people want to be. And so that's kind of the nice thing about it. The other thing is, I think I mentioned before, is I think the average new multifamily has 1.2 bedrooms in it today. Well, if the average right. family has two to three kids in it, you just can't fit in a, in a multifamily product. So you have to look for a single family home in a desirable community. And that's really what you know, we invest in, in that set of a workforce housing, affordable housing, and a good neighborhood. And we like that because that family is then likely going to stay there. Um, they're also going to stay there if that's where the jobs are. And of course, we didn't get to this point, but we're buying these homes in areas where there is above average job growth, where there is above average population growth. And as long as those two remain there and the neighborhoods are safe and the people like their community, then we see this as a really strong asset class um, that really mitigates a lot of issues uh, with either inflation. Um, and it's a safe asset to own. Uh, often we're buying these assets significantly below replacement cost. I think it's a really important factor. So you own an asset, you've purchased it below replacement costs, it cash flows to you, and hopefully you're gaining capital appreciation along the way. You put all three of those different attributes together and you get a really nice return profile um, that I think is fairly safe, at least for our profile of investing. Well, it also sounds, you know, for family offices anyway, the, the yield that you can get on these, um, it, it is to some extent labor intensive, like we sort of talked about, because you have, you know, quite a number of different uh, rooftops, et cetera. Um, but it also sounds like it could be a great opportunity for families to, you know, co-invest with perhaps somebody like your family or, you know, be able to get into an existing portfolio so that they don't have to build from ground up. Yeah, it's a great way. And you're, you're spot on, DJ. This is a labor intensive operation. You're doing renovations. You're dealing with construction. You have to have the ability to communicate well and align with uh, subcontractors in a specific region. It takes time to build trust. It takes time to build alignment uh, with those, uh, those folks that are key to your operation. And we really see that that's where the most value can be created is partnering with the right folks on the ground, combining the right set of technologies to develop the inefficiencies through the bidding process all the way through to property management. And with the right partners and contractors on your team, you can really outperform relative to your peers. So we spend a lot of time uh, diligencing and partnering with the right operators on the ground. And if you can do that, you can really outperform. Uh, and that's where you can get the extra alpha on top of just the safeness of the asset class. 
So we're always open uh, to folks that want to learn a little bit more about this industry or, or uh, invest alongside us or, or with us. Uh, we've done that um, from the very early days. Uh, we're accustomed to it. And um, even if uh, we don't co-invest, there are certain ways that we would love to be able to help families out or, or just act as uh, an advisor or um, just share ideas in many ways. That's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, with a recent survey that the, uh, the Family Office Real Estate Magazine, only about 6% of families were invested in the single family homes. And, and in a market, especially when uh, people are looking for yield and, and the next opportunity, you know, although single family homes have been around for a while, like you said, it has been quite a fragmented mom and pop market. And so it, it, it definitely creates uh, an alternative that I think families for sure need to be aware of. So Josh Roach from Lloyd Capital Partners, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I appreciate you being with us and, and, and helping with your expertise and sharing for uh, you know other families that we do try to help educate perspectives. So uh, we appreciate you being on the show. DJ, thanks for having us. Happy to share more about the macro dynamics of this space at, a, at another time that we can go into more detail on what the future holds for this asset class as we move forward. That would be fantastic. We want to definitely, we'll bring you back for another show. We'll, we'll focus in on that area and, and definitely provide that. So Josh Roach, Lloyd Capital Partners. Uh, next, we're going to be talking about another area that's really important, which has to do with due diligence. And in fact, Josh has brought up some information uh, about the importance of the operator and the local operator that you're working with. And so we'll be talking with Brian Mick of Mick Law about due diligence and uh, what you really need to understand and look into when it comes to uh, evaluating opportunities.